Welcome to the Land of Goshen podcast. This is where you can hear the latest sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church in Belmont, North Carolina, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Our reading this morning is 2 Samuel 19, 8 to 39. 2 Samuel 19, 8 to 39. Hear the word of the Lord. So the king arose and sat in the gate. When they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, then all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled each to his tent. All the people were quarreling throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. But now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. However, Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? Then King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? Since the word of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house. You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? Say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? May God do so to me and more also if you will not be commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. Thus he turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, saying, Return, you and all your servants. The king then returned and came as far as the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal in order to go to meet the king, to bring the king across the Jordan. Then Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, with Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him. And they rushed to the Jordan before the king. And they kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and to do what was good in his sight. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So he said to the king, Let not my lord consider me guilty. Nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my lord the king came out from Jerusalem, so that the king would take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come today, the first of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai the son of Zeruiah said, Should not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? David then said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? Should any man be put to death in Israel today? For do I not know that I am king over Israel today? The king said to Shimei, You shall not die. Thus the king swore to him. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So he answered, O my lord, the king, my servant deceived me. 
For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided, you and Ziba shall divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim, and he went on to the Jordan with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Now Barzillai was very old, being eighty years old, and he had sustained the king while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. The king said to Barzillai, You cross over with me, and I will sustain you in Jerusalem with me. But Barzillai said to the king, How long have I yet to live, that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am now eighty years old. Can I distinguish between good and bad? Or can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Or can I hear any more the voice of singing men and women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant would merely cross over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king compensate me with this reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. However, here is your servant Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king, and do for him what is good in your sight. The king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what is good in your sight. And whatever you require of me, I will do for you. All the people crossed over the Jordan, and the king crossed too. The king then kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his place. You know, there have been a lot of wars throughout the history of mankind. We fought for a lot of reasons. I could list off some of them, but recently, during one of my many deep dives down that rabbit hole we call YouTube, I learned a thing. There was once a war fought between two Italian city-states. These states were skirmishing, and they were rivals because one of them supported the Holy Roman Emperor, who was neither holy nor Roman, nor technically what we would consider a real emperor, but there you go. The other one supported the Pope, and they were skirmishing about who had more power. Should we give more political power to the emperor or to the Pope? And back and forth, little skirmishes between their armies, rivalries between their people, and one day... The army of one city said, you know what would be fun? You know what would be an absolute lark? Let's all go march into the other city. I think it was Bologna. Yes, where we get the name for Bologna. Also the people who invented spaghetti and meat sauce. Thank the Lord for them. But they were like, let's, well, they invented the meat sauce. We put it on the spaghetti. They're very insulted. It's the wrong pasta. But anyhow, they were like, let's march into there. And let's steal a bucket from their city well. What do you think? And they did it. They marched into the city, walked right through the gate, took a bucket off the well, and marched back. They 
fought a war, an open war over the bucket. They were past skirmishing into open battle. They failed to recapture the bucket. About, I think, 2,000 men died over the bucket. And by the way, the bucket is still on display in the city that captured it. They still have it. You can go look at the bucket they stole. And they're like, yes, that's their bucket, but we stole it. Now, can you imagine for a moment, you're marching into battle. And you go, Captain, why are we marching into battle? To defend the bucket. Boss, I'll give you a bucket. I'll go buy you a bucket. I, I know a guy in town. He makes buckets. You want a bucket? I'll get you a bucket. No, no. It's got to be that bucket. Captain, why are we going out to march to take back our bucket? Really? Imagine you're in the field, lying on the ground, the blood is draining from your body. Because remember, men died. And as you lay dying, waiting to cross into eternity and face the Almighty, it dawns on you for the first time, I am dying. And my commanders considered my life a fair price and my city considered my young life a fair price for a bucket. What am I fighting for? What am I fighting for? There are times in the life of the Christian as we undergo our struggle, as we take part in our war, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That sometimes as we have been injured by the enemy, sometimes even if we're victorious but we're exhausted, we sit down and we ask ourselves, what am I fighting for? Why am I doing all this? Well, the good news is we are not fighting over a bucket. We are not fighting over real estate or who controls which part of which territory close to some river. We know what the outcome of our struggle is. We know what God is doing and we see it in the outcome of God's victory given to David. What is God doing in the world. The first thing we see in this passage, the outcome of God's action, his work of redemption, our struggle is that God is reconciling his rebel people to himself. Notice the war is over. David is about to come back into the land and all the people of Israel, God's own people, had rejected God's anointed one. They had cast him out beyond the Jordan into the frontier land of Gilead. 
And now they realize, guys, I think that was a mistake. This is the man who delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. This is our deliverer. This is our sustainer. We tried to make our own way and <laughs> he's dead. We've got to get the king back. The people have a longing for David. You might think David would be very angry with him, but David reaches out to Judah, his own tribe, and says, why are you the last ones to bring me back? Hey, wake up. I'm one of you. I am bone of your bone. I am flesh of your flesh. We are one blood. Do you think I'm angry? Do you think I'm at Amasa? You, leader of the rebel faction, you, leader of the rebel army, I will make you head of my army. I'm not going to execute you. I'm going to promote you. I'm not here to destroy. I am here to rebuild and to reconcile. David reaches out to them with grace and mercy. And the hearts of Judah turn as one man and they go to bring back the king. You know, throughout history, the church has wandered in many sad ways. We've held to false doctrine. We've held to false practices. We've needed the Reformation. We've needed revivals. We've needed to have meetings to settle our creeds, to settle our confessions. There are times we've had to repent and we've had to be set straight by the Lord. But throughout it all, as messy as that gets and as hard as it is to go through times where the church is being corrected, it's worth it because at the end, God brings His people back to Himself. There was a man, I've talked about him before, Athanasius. He's called Athanasius the Great. He wasn't actually that great, but the God he served is great. He was pretty great too, but you know, God is greater. Athanasius believed in the Trinity. Now you may say, big whoop, everyone believes in the Trinity, right? If you're a Christian, you believe in the Trinity. Well, actually, in his day, most people who called themselves Christians did not believe in the Trinity. They thought Jesus was a lesser God. They believed what the Jehovah's Witnesses believed. Athanasius was exiled from his district, the church area he was bishop over, seven times. He died in exile. At one point, he had an arrest warrant because the emperor wanted him arrested for stirring up trouble in the church. He went to a church council to speak about the Trinity and they called him Contra Mundi, against the world. Because he was practically the only man who still believed what the Bible teaches. And at the end of that council, do you know what the church confessed? A little something we call the Nicene Creed. They said, I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And they confessed the Trinity. Was it hard for Athanasius? You bet. Did he live an easy life? Not at all. 
but the Lord used him and brought his erring people back. Not only that, not only is God bringing the church back, but in Romans chapter 11, we're told even more good news. That the day will come when those who have God's covenant in the flesh, the people known as the Jewish people today, will hear the gospel. They will be stirred up and they will ask the question that is staring them in the face, why do the Gentiles have our Messiah? Why are all these people from among the nations worshiping the God of the Jews? Why aren't we under the Messiah? Why don't we trust in Him? And in that glorious day, they will come home. And you know what? Until that day comes, we're still doing evangelism among the Jewish people. We're still spreading that message of Paul that yours are the covenants. As Jesus Himself said, what did He say to the Samaritan woman? Salvation is from the... Jews, you were given the message first. Come join us. Come join us. We want the children of Abraham of the flesh and the children of Abraham by faith to be one. And we strive to see them brought back. Let me tell you something. The Christian life is a struggle, but is there any word more beautiful than the word revival? That word moves you. It draws you. That wonderful concept that in a place where people have heard the gospel but have grown dead to it, the Spirit kindles that flame. He blows on that almost extinguished coal and suddenly where there was a fire you couldn't warm your hands at there is a burning bonfire an explosion of the Lord's work that is worth it that is worth it to see Jesus Christ glorified in the salvation of His people. To see those who have walked in darkness brought back into the light. That is an outcome worth striving for. But not only will Jesus Christ be glorified in the salvation of His covenant people, Jesus Christ will be glorified in the subjugation of His enemies. You see, God is bringing the enemies of Christ under Him. He is glorifying Christ over those who oppose Him. Notice, David comes back and Judah is there and who else shows up? Benjamin. Why Benjamin? Why is it so important? They come, all Israel is talking about bringing back the king. Why is Benjamin rushing forward to make sure they're there when Judah is there? Because Benjamin is the tribe of Saul, the rejected king. And they know that in this time of rebellion, their loyalty is especially under question. And among them are three men 
Shimei, who cursed David openly. Ziba, who came and supported David, but then took lands from David's hand, taking opportunity while the king was in trouble. And Mephibosheth, who had been said to be a rebel against the king, grandson of Saul. All three of these men are closely associated with Saul. They are members of his household. And now Benjamin, as a whole, is bowing before the king. And all three of these men, real or potential threats to David, must confess, my life and my prosperity depend entirely upon your favor, O King David. At a word you can make or break me. Again, Saul's lineage is forced to bow before David. Christ's enemies, they don't fare any better. They fight. They war. They want their own way. They want to establish themselves as king over their own lives. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, that's what the high priests thought when they crucified Jesus Christ. That's what Pontius Pilate thought when he crucified Jesus Christ. You know what? That's right. Jesus went to the cross, but they didn't kill him, technically. They didn't. Jesus said he laid down his life of his own accord. He died way before he was supposed to. Crucifixion is slow. He died early. And then to make it even worse, he didn't stay dead. He never sinned. He wasn't under God's curse. He just got out of his tomb and he walked out. Where are the high priests of Israel? There are none. Go to Jerusalem. There's no high priest there. The high priest of Israel sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father. Where is Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate didn't even finish out his own governorship. He was recalled by Rome and exiled from the empire for his incompetence. They're gone. And everything they thought they were doing to stop Christ was the moment of His glory. What emblem is behind me in the choir loft? What emblem is in our church logo? What emblem is in the cloth on the pulpit? What emblem is on our table? The cross. God's enemies, as much as they strive against Christ, can only end up serving Christ. The best they can hope for is that Christ in His mercy will overcome them and bring them into His fold. That He will so conquer them that they drop their arms and join His people. But if they will not, then on that last day, Jesus will sit upon His throne. He will sit upon the throne of His Father and they will be forced to bow the knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord.
Jesus is going to win. And that means when you're struggling against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you're wondering, gee, is it going to be worth it? Yes, it's going to be worth it. You're on the winning team. You can't lose. Not because you're so great and you're so mighty, but we serve Jesus Christ. He has to win. He's already won. He overcame death. Look, what's the worst anyone can do to you? Kill you, right? They can't kill Jesus. They already did it once and it didn't work. The Father has given all authority into His hand. He is going to win. He has already won. And as you are serving Him, you know you have the victory in Him. And not only do you have the victory in Him because God is going to put all His enemies under His feet, but God is working to bless His people in Christ. We come to the end of the passage. David is crossing the Jordan and Barzillai is there. Barzillai sustained the king. He served him. He was a very great man of great wealth. He was one of the three men who supported David. And David calls him over. Barzillai, you've sustained me. I'm going to sustain you. I ate at your table, Barzillai. It's time for you to eat at my table. The king's table. Barzillai says no. Not out of humility. But he simply says, David, I'm 80 years old. I can't taste food anymore. I've lost my sense of taste. I've worked with senior citizens a long time. Have you ever noticed the love of hot sauce increases as people get older? Strong flavor. He's saying, David, I can't taste your good food. David, I'm deaf. I I can't hear your singers. Plus, I've lived my whole life in this town. I want to be gathered to my fathers when I die. That was considered a good death to be buried in the family plot. Even today, many people are particular. I want to be buried with my family. David, if I cross over, that's all I'm going to do is cross over. It's not going to do me any good. But I have a son, we know this from another passage, named Chimham. Take him. Take my son, do for him what is good in your sight. And David, of course, understands this is polite language. And he says, Barzillai, I will do for him what you think is good. And whatever you require of me, I will do for Chimham. In other words, Barzillai is saying, take all the blessings that were mine and give them to my son. Better to bless him. When we come to that great day of judgment, you need to understand this. Your sins have been washed away by Jesus. So when the books are opened on Judgment Day, how many of your sins are going to be counted against you? None. Now, you've done what you would consider good works, right? And the Bible says they're good. Are they really good enough to please God? No. They all fall short in motive. They all fall short in execution. But remember, what did I say about your sins? They've all been covered by the blood of Christ. That means all the faults and failures in your best works have been covered. And you're offering them not directly to the Father, you're offering them through whom? 
Christ. And anything Christ brings to the Father pleases the Father. And you're not even doing them by your own strength. By whose power are you doing the work? The Spirit. Which means there is some good in them. So they are by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. And on that day, the Father will look at those works. And what will he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Jesus will look at you and will say, you carried my gospel. You preached my word. And we may say, well, it's not like Barzillai. David said, you sustained me, so I will sustain you. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. Jesus Christ will look at you and say to you, you sustained me. Because whatever you did to the least of these, you did that to me because they're my body. And now it pleases me to sustain you. Come eat at your Lord's table. Can life be a mess? Oh, absolutely, I don't deny it. But we know the outcome and we know it is worth it. Jesus Christ is going to be glorified. He will be glorified in the salvation of His people as we are preaching His Word. He will be glorified as He overcomes His enemies, which we already experience every time the world has to back off and the Gospel overcomes. And He will be glorified and share the blessings with us. Knowing this rekindles our zeal. Knowing this picks us up off the ground. When you remember we're not fighting over a bucket. We are fighting for the glory of our King. Looking forward to the blessing of our King. Who is worthy to be glorified. Who is worthy to be praised. Who has given His life for us which we don't deserve. Why should we not give our lives for Him? When we remember that. We can dust ourselves off, draw our weapons, and go back into the fray. Because we know that Christ is worthy. Let us serve Him, looking for all the benefits and all the blessing that He brings. Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. We hope this sermon has been helpful to you. If you would like more information about the gospel of Jesus Christ or about Goshen Presbyterian Church, please contact us using the website goshenpca.com where you can find our email address as well as our phone number. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Goshen PCA. 
Please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing these episodes.